I actually like hearing my own voice when I speak because I'm just a narcissist that likes my own voice. Hello, Jason. Thanks for joining us here at the FS Jam podcast. You work at Prisma and you've had a hand in creating Nexus. We've talked about a little bit on the show, but we'd really like to dive more into it. But why don't you tell us a little about yourself and how you got involved in all this? Awesome. Thanks for having me. I've been at Prisma for just over a year now, about a year and three months. And when I first got involved with Prisma, it was actually through trying to build GraphQL APIs at a company, my former company in Montreal. We were getting just prototyping stage work done and looking at how to do things in a type safe way. So we kind of went through, I think, with like a lot of people in the Node ecosystem through kind of the Apollo server kind of world and worked through the SDL first approach of building schemas in GraphQL but noticed that as a TypeScript fan, just not getting the type safety that, that I wanted. And I was using Prisma also on, that, on those API kind of prototypes and was really liking the work Prisma was doing on the sort of the database layer side. Johannes, who at the time was the CEO of Prisma, and, and Flavion, who is a colleague of mine at Prisma, they had a tool called GraphQL Gen, which was generating TypeScript types based on the GraphQL SDL. And so this was sort of working in the Apollo server kind of workflow. That was working well, and I got involved in that project early on. This was in October 2019. Work there got me in touch with Flavion, with Johannes, and started collaborating as an open source contributor in the kind of Prisma ecosystem. But at around the same time, Johannes got in touch with Tim Greaser, who is the original creator of Nexus, and uh, was really interested in what Tim Greaser was doing. Prisma started to pivot towards that tool as kind of the recommended way to build type-safe GraphQL APIs. And they kind of let their homegrown tool, GraphQL Gen, they kind of like laid that down. I was sort of left looking for what to do next and said, okay, well, I'll try this Nexus thing since that seems to be what they're kind of betting on. And fast forward some months later, got in touch with Johannes again in the summer of 2019, flew down to Berlin and he was looking to get some more engineering help on the open source stuff that Prisma was working on. Prisma was an early backer of Nexus. Flavion did a lot of the early work with Tim Greaser and he did the first plugin for Nexus for Prisma. He was kind of working alone and Johannes was sort of involved, but obviously had to run the whole company. So it wasn't involved in the way that Flavian was involved day to day. My initial kind of mandate at Prisma was to start helping out Flavian on all this kind of open source stuff, primarily the Nexus aspects. So that's sort of the, the backstory there. Very cool. Nexus is a project that is really interesting because, as you said, it's gone through a couple iterations here and other people were going for similar things. And I had thought that Nexus was kind of the GraphQL part of Prisma 1 that got abstracted out, but it sounds more like someone created something that did it better. So they're like, oh, let's drop our GraphQL thing and start doing this. Yeah, I've heard that one too before. There's been a lot of product iteration at Prisma, so it's sort of a storied history that can be difficult to tease apart. There's a very decoupled aspect here where Nexus never really was part of the Prisma 1 stack. The part that was in common was just the GraphQL aspect, right? So Prisma 1 was tightly coupled to GraphQL. Prisma 2 has nothing really to do with GraphQL. Prisma 1 was basically putting, you know, exposing GraphQL APIs over the database. At the time, as Prisma 1 was transitioning to Prisma 2, Nexus looked like an interesting way to, like, how did Prisma 2 basically relate to GraphQL in new ways that kind of made it so that there was a bridge forward for Prisma 1 users. Prisma 1 users were obviously all also like GraphQL users implicitly. Prisma 2 became more agnostic, but we still wanted like a positive story there 
because that still is an important part of the community for Prisma even today. Nexus was a nice fit there that was had the modularity that we were looking for. I have actually used Nexus and Prisma One. My experience was a bit jaded. Sure. It just didn't quite give me what I wanted. I can happily say that Prisma Two knocks it out of the park. Cool. That's good. I had Nexus eleven point seven and Nexus Prisma that was zero point three point seven. I can't quite remember when support ended or has it sub- ended for Prisma One. There was a Prisma plugin for Nexus for Prisma One, which went up to version three point seven of Nexus Prisma plugin. I was on the last version. Yeah, you were right at the cusp there. I think we sort of refocused towards Prisma 2 in like 2019, October or so. You know, I was not a heavy Prisma 1 user, so I don't have that experience as much under my belt. But Nexus Prisma plugin, what it kind of provided was a bridge to bring back some of the workflows around exposing very quickly access, like CRUD access to uh, models that are in your database through the API, which isn't always a best practice, but can be a nice way to get started quickly. And also for some types of projects, it's totally fine. There is nothing about this built into Nexus itself, which is very generic GraphQL schema building without without any super strong opinions uh, built in. But the Nexus Prisma plugin then creates awareness around the Prisma schema and then starts allowing you to, in a type safe way, map the models that are in your Prisma schema into your GraphQL API. And of course, as I mentioned, yeah, the CRUD aspects. So being able to create, say, if you have a user model, then create a user, update a user, delete a user, stuff like that. Putting Prisma 2 together with Nexus, with the Nexus Prisma plugin, it starts to approximate very roughly still, I would say, what you might have kind of gotten out of Prisma 1. How it used to work, Prisma 1 was its own GraphQL endpoint. Yeah. Nexus was the resolver part of the GraphQL structure. So your client is going to speak to Nexus and then Nexus Prisma would connect and talk to your Prisma 1 endpoint, right? Not exactly. Not exactly, but close. (laughs) Yeah, I guess you could have a, I guess, a Prisma 1 endpoint that then you have your own service in front of and proxy request through. Yes. I have never actually never done that or talked to people that have done that, but I guess that's something that people were doing. And so they could totally do that. Yeah. I liked Prisma 1, but ever since Prisma 2 came out and I've used Prisma 2, I've just kind of like forced my memory to forget. I think one of the main points with GraphQL Nexus, it's not the only way to do GraphQL CRUD applications. For sure. Things like Redwood choose to use their own solution of SDLs. Yep. Bison, they use GraphQL Nexus. I don't know how much you know about the Redwood solution for mapping resolvers. What would really be the pros and cons to using the Nexus way? Uh, I'm not an expert on, on Redwood by any stretch, but I think at a high level, I think off the bat, one of the big differences is the scope of the work of the project. So Redwood's a framework and Nexus is a library. It's like some listeners may have a part of the history here where there was this thing called Nexus framework, but we're just totally ignoring that right now. So Nexus is a library and it just fits into your stack in a much more modular way, almost at the same level of how you would just use GraphQL JS. It's a little bit higher level in terms of the API. It's a bit nicer to use. It's it's uh, very type safe by comparison. The scope is really just, again, just the schema building part. You can't really fit Redwood in all the places you might fit Nexus. 
Redwood is, of course, you know, full stack framework, not just a backend framework. I think the use cases don't overlap too much. If you're just a backend team, it's not going to maybe make sense to necessarily use Redwood, although I, I think you can probably have like a workflow of Redwood where you would do that. If you're, yeah, if you're this backend team, you just want to build a server and you're, you're expecting something like Express or Nest.js classical backend API, then Nexus is probably going to feel pretty natural. Yeah, the Redwood team evaluated Nexus as a piece that they would have incorporated. I think the reason Tom had said he just liked like the readability of the SDL, I kind of see both sides here because I do really like just like an SDL where you just see like, you know, post, ID, title, body. It's really simple. It's pretty easy to parse. Yep. When you look at something like Nexus, there's a lot more going on. But at the same time, if you want more of that detail and you want more fine-grained control, then that's really nice. And I, when I first heard about Nexus, it didn't make any sense to me at all. <laughs> and the reason why is because I wasn't super familiar with just types and like the concept of typing in general. That's really what a lot of this is based around. Stuff like union types, query types, backing types. Can we like talk about some of this terminology for people who might not be as type fluent. There's a lot of types going on and, and it doesn't help that you're building types in the schema with type safe APIs in TypeScript. There's sort of like a meta thing there, right? So when you're building a GraphQL schema, um, you're essentially dealing with a sort of small set of different types. Uh, unions, interfaces are these, are the abstract types, which allow you to express polymorphic aspects of the GraphQL schema. So a really like simple example of that is in a GraphQL schema, you might have a query for search and the result of the search field might be multiple types of things that can be found. So maybe some kind of like media search and you can get back images, videos, or songs. And these are sort of three distinct models or objects as, as they would be called in GraphQL in the schema. And they don't share the same fields, they just aren't the same things. That union can be a way to express that the search field can return any of these things, but you're not sure what you're gonna get at runtime. The other abstract type is interface types and they're fairly similar to union types in that they are abstract, but the difference is that they sh they're sort of share nothing uh, members. You could have like an apple and an orange and a pear, and there's nothing in common there. Whereas with an interface type, there is the concept, you're returning an interface, but the actual concrete types you're getting back all implement that interface. So what it means is all the members of this interface type are sort of sharing a subset of fields. The consequence of this is that as a GraphQL client, when you try to go query a field which has a type of interface, you'll be able to select the fields that are common to all members of the interface type, which is essentially what is the interface type. So the interface might say, well, all, all members of the interface type are going to have A, B, and C. And A is a string, and B is a Boolean. And union types don't have, are a bit looser in the sense that there's just no guarantee that there's going to be any overlap. So the clients cannot query the common fields in the same way as interface types. You get those two flavors. You could say that you're at a toll road, you have one car, one bus, and one lorry. You split. So you say each one goes to each one. Or you would have one toll booth that handles all three. All three of them would be your union type, saying it can either be a bus, a van, or a car. The interface type would maybe say that they all have wheels and they all have windows. And if you're only interested in asking about, you know, the wheels, how big is the wheel or how tinted is the glass, then you don't need to actually know what you're working with. You'll be able to get that information back for any of them. And so an interface type can be useful when you know that the members of the interface type do share some common aspects. Union types are the sort of free-for-all. You don't need to care if there's anything in related or not. 
Redwood writes them like an SDL, a string that defines them. But Nexus does it more object-oriented. And with object-oriented, like a function, you get type safety. How important is that? I think it's pretty important, but I'm biased. I think that the type safety is sort of provides two advantages. One is the safety, of course. The other is sort of the, I would say, sort of productivity, which is tends to sort of be counterintuitive because we think of type safe, like compiled languages as somehow being less fast or less productive than something sort of fast scripting language. But it seems that this is sort of changing these days. And so like the autocomplete experience that you would get out of VS Code, thanks to the typings, just make things feel a little bit swifter. You're going to get a resolver and you're going to know what the source type is coming through like what you were saying before, the backing types. We call these source types now. We kind of standardized the terminology recently. It aligns, for example, with how GraphQL.js calls them in, in, in their own implementation and things. Source types being the first parameter to resolvers, then you have the args, and then you have the context. So resolvers all have this common signature, and just having that all typed safely is both make it easier to have reliable software, but also when it just comes time to implementing, you're not going to need to go looking around or remember what were the inputs to a particular field. They're just there in the args to autocomplete. Any nuances there like, oh, was the field optional or not? Well, the type safety will have your back there because you'll have like a null, uh, a null type in there that you have to deal with. Like types are just going to yell at you if you don't deal with the null properly in your resolver. And so the, these kind of things can just be yeah, making it safer ultimately, but also saving you time by not having to go look up if, you know, was this thing optional? I can't remember. Well, it's just there in your face. So what I'm curious about is you were talking about how there's a couple different types of type definitions going on here. Like we have TypeScript, we have GraphQL types, and then is there Nexus type definitions? Is that a, another separate thing? So what are all these different types, how do they relate to each other? The Nexus package, it exports a number of type definition builders, essentially. And it's all sort of functional, like there's not a lot of instantiation of classes or anything. It sort of just has these pure functions that return values. And that these type builders are basically have object types. They map to what GraphQL has in the type system. So objects, input objects, unions, interfaces, enums, that's basically it. Then from there, you have fields on these things, of course, and whatnot. You basically yeah, just import these type definition builders, and then they return constructed types that you pass into the make schema of Nexus, which so Nexus has sort of a make schema, which is itself returning a, a GraphQL schema that then you can put into any server or whatever you want. Define types, pass them into make schema to get a schema, which you pass into your server. The Nexus types are distinct from the GraphQL JS package types. Like they are not the same, they are, they are simply not the same classes, but the oftentimes, I mean, in almost all cases, the Nexus types are just very thin layers on top of the GraphQL JS types, providing some, some of the type safety, adjusting the way that inputs might work on like nullability by default and stuff like that. But there's really not much going on at runtime over the GraphQL.js package. Like you can have a type reference a GraphQL.js type. Like it's quite interoperable because ultimately all Nexus does will just say, oh great, you gave me a GraphQL.js type, I'll just pass that through to the schema. So this makes it easy to plug in GraphQL.js scalers or if you have to like a hybrid application, you're maybe migrating from one state to another, you have some of the code base written in an older GraphQL.js way. These things are fairly interoperable. If you're kind of dealing with a kind of a normal application, like from scratch, you're just gonna have the Nexus type definitions. This will be creating your Nexus, sorry, your GraphQL schema. And then that has its has the GraphQL types in, in there at runtime, which is what your, your API clients, your applications that are calling your API will see. The TypeScript types are what you see as an API developer 
in your sort of VS Code experience. But from a runtime perspective, even the Nexus types, those are basically getting stripped away at build time. Well, at build time, at boot time, basically Nexus runs. And what it's ultimately returning is just a vanilla uh, GraphQL schema, which is built of GraphQL JS types. So it's a very, very thin layer. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's like TypeScript for GraphQL. <laughs> Almost, yeah. Yeah, like conceptually. Have you ever checked out AWS's AppSync? They're like managed GraphQL service. It's been a while. I remember looking at it maybe almost two years ago now, and it was fairly new, probably around the time it was announced. I think it's changed a lot, so I'm pretty out, to, out of date now, I think, with what it's capable of. I've heard it's kind of got like everything in the kitchen sink going on over there. Like it's a powerful suite. It's become really heavily integrated with the whole Amplify thing. So if you like use Amplify, you can kind of connect a lot of AWS services together. And AppSync is essentially replacing what like API Gateway did, okay, but in a GraphQL way instead of in an HTTP way. So it's like the glue layer that's connecting a lot of pieces. And you can do the same thing. You can take schemas and you can generate all sorts of stuff with it. Nice. This whole space is like it's a lot of a lot of stuff happening. Yeah, totally. It's hard to keep track. Like if I feel it's it's not quite as fast paced as like front end, but it still feels like the kind of thing if I don't look for a couple months, I need to go figure out what's gone on and I'm, I feel left behind. It's so heavily integrated with front end now that you're kind of getting pulled along. Everyone's getting pulled along with this whole front end train. You guys recently got Nexus to 1.0, which I thought was pretty cool. So what is like the kind of impetus for the major version change? So that's sort of a like long time coming. I remember even talking about 1.0 with Tim like a year ago because it's been used in production now at quite a few places for some time. Tim Greaser uh, works at Cypress.io and he's a, he's a technical director there and has just had Nexus going for a really long time. The Nexus library has just not undergone fundamental change now for quite a while. Incrementally, the, like in 20, at the end of 2019, one of the biggest things that shipped were plugins. And so now it's been a year that we've had plugins. This year, nothing major changed. There was quite a few tweaks, but it was just clear that there was a core there that I felt that we felt was ready to to had sort of test like been tested now with time and was ready to to go out into the world under 1.0 and so what we've done over the past few months is get like some of the last breaking changes that we really wanted to to do before 1.0 we kind of raced to try to do as many of those if you were already on 19 or 18.0 so on and so forth like the 1.0 jump is, is it just feels like kind of a normal little release because again the, the core was has been there i think for a long time and that's good because you, you don't want to do 1.0 and leave everyone behind. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like it sounds like what what you did is gonna be is gonna be fairly similar to what Redwood 1.0 is is gonna be like. It's just you reach a level of polish where you feel comfortable calling it 1.0. Yeah, the highlights kind of of what we've shipped in the last few months. The two biggest changes were making abstract types uh, safe to implement, which they were before a bit rough around the edges, especially for newcomers. They have to learn what abstract types are in GraphQL, how to implement them. It's sort of intimidating. Now Nexus has this concept of abstract type implementation strategies. We haven't discussed it, but basically one of the novel things of Nexus is that under the hood, it's generating TypeScript types based on how you've actually written your GraphQL schema in code. It does this generation step at runtime at the very beginning when you boot your app. And it's a dev time thing, so you wouldn't do this generation in production, but at dev time, it's fine. And so you have these TypeScripts being generated in the background. 
there's three strategies basically to choose from, and you can choose which one you, you want to be uh, working with in your application. This is just how we do type gen, and then you kind of get a really polished, guided experience from a type perspective on what it is you need to do. So when you define a union type, what are the required methods that you're going to have to implement to make that work at runtime? And so this is completely type safe now. I'm pretty happy with the result. The other big change for 1.0, relatively speaking big, lists and nullability were a bit painful to express and unintuitive. So if you wanted to express that you had a list type and the members of the list type were non-nullable, so guaranteed to be there, it just had a fairly awkward way to express that. So now we have these little functional helpers uh, that you can also chain nullable, non-null, and list. And this is just a much easier way now to express these sort of what GraphQL calls type modifiers. There was a lot of improvements to docs and things like that too, but those are sort of the, the features that were noteworthy in the last uh, few weeks. The docs is definitely something I'm interested in because when I first started looking at Nexus, I guess it was back in like May, there were two doc websites because I think you were like migrating from one to the other. And the only difference is there was like a period in one and wasn't in the other. And I imagine a lot of the content was similar, but they had like different styles. So I just remember the time going into this library that was already very confusing to me. Yeah, yeah. And then not understanding the docs at all, just being like, oh my God. And, and I've been looking at your guys' docs today, and like, they look really good. You guys definitely put a lot of work into them. Thanks. Very well organized. You guys have like examples now, and it's really cool. It was a low bar in some ways to improve, but I think, I think even by just general standards, you know, there's always things to improve. There's still some sections to do, but there's like some good guides in there now. There's a proper tutorial and there's not two websites. And we started picking up Code Sandbox to provide some examples that you can run. Yeah, I think the coherence now uh, is a lot better than it was, say, a year ago. Why it wasn't created by Prisma, Prisma is one of the maintainers. You think of Prisma, you now think of Prisma 2, that's now Prisma, a ORM to what the website says. And that's obviously debatable. Yeah. Would you say that Nexus would be the opinionated way Prisma would define itself if it was to include more front-facing services, like a whole API, for example? Interesting. You know, I think as Prisma 2 matures, I think the answer would be no now. It's becoming more and more open to sort of interop with all the frameworks, the stacks, basically, to the extent that it can. I think where, you know, it can't coexist as well is going to be with other ORMs where there's just an inherent trade-off of like, use this or this, using both just doesn't make sense. But otherwise, I think in most of parts of the stack, it's trying to become quite accommodating. There's like a prisma.io slash GraphQL, for example, landing page to just bring in that audience through Prisma. Right there, we've got three tabbed, you know, you've got SDL, you've got Nexus, and you've got type GraphQL, which is sort of a, a type ORM-ish way of doing it with entities and use like TypeScript decorators on uh, class fields and methods. So none of these are sort of being seen anymore as like necessarily privileged. You know, sometimes it comes up, it's like, why does Nexus have that sort of pedestal at Prisma because it doesn't really fit necessarily anymore. And I think that's certainly fair because it's not the intent anymore. I think we sort of have inherited the maintainership uh, or part of it of Nexus to this day, and we wanted to be good stewards there. But I don't think there's like a vision where Nexus is sort of seen as necessarily better all the time or has to be better. It's a way, like I think where there's a natural and we're biased, of course, but there's a natural alignment, I think, with the way that TypeScript is just 
uh, first class citizen and everything goes through the lens of is this a type safe productive way of working with TypeScript so that's like with Prisma client what you get it does it's different because it's code generation not just type generation but the end result is that you get typings with Prisma client uh, uh, the ORM so to say that are completely customized to the way you've defined your database schema and so that clearly has a an analogy with how we're working with Nexus and it's typings like are completely reflective of how you've defined your GraphQL schema, your API schema. I think people that love what Prisma is doing with terms of type safety will perhaps also appreciate what Nexus is doing. But again, I don't think there's really any um, technical coupling. And like I said, even on those like landing pages now for bringing in those audiences, we're open to sort of meeting developers where they are basically and, and really appreciate that. That's really important because when I worked with Prisma 1, it almost felt like Nexus was the sister, the thing you use to complete the system. Prisma 2 is more decoupled, is now more optional. Redwood decided to go with the SDL approach. Bison has gone with Nexus. Open source is hard. And when do you choose to give, give it up when it's no longer what the company is focusing on? Yeah. We all connect with different mental models differently. For me, SDLs work. But for someone like Anthony... Code first would work. And this is why I always go back to whenever you start a project, you can't just go with your biases or what you've heard is good. You need to look at it, be objective, find out what works best for you, and then go from there. Absolutely. And I think like also look at things that we've seen in the past. Assuming they've iterated and evolved, sometimes it requires new judgments as well. A lot of open source is moving so fast right now that every six months I'll re-review everything. <laughs> Because the old judgments probably, half of them won't apply anymore, you know. Definitely interesting time. Are there other things you work on at Prisma aside from Nexus? With 1.0, my colleague and I, Flavian, who were the sort of two main people at Prisma, are spending engineering time on Nexus. We have some other projects to focus on. We'll see how things go. If 1.0 is, well, I, I don't think there will be, but let's say if there's any imminent bugs, those would be fixed and addressed. But I think from a feature perspective, we'll kind of let things ride for a little bit and see. Uh, Tim Greaser, of course, is, is working completely asynchronous here. So there's always things that he might bring to the table at any time, right? From our point of view, we're probably going to uh, let 1.0 sit for a little while as it sort of matures and we see how the community reacts and builds up new motivations like schema directives from within Nexus. And that would open up, for instance, Apollo Federation, which is still difficult to do, if not impossible, with uh, Nexus. So that might be continue to appear to be potentially like yeah, something the community really wants. But by all intents and purposes for now, we're going to be working, uh, Flavio's moving to the client team. So doing stuff with Rust and the Prisma client. And I've moved to a new team called the developer productivity team. Some of the things we're looking at are, so what is Prisma's commercial offering going to actually be? And what are the kind of tools there for collaboration and workflow that we might want to develop? So it's pretty exciting, pretty open and undefined still. Even if I wanted to, I, there's not much I can say because it's literally like my first week. So, Brandon Bayer from Blitz, he recently took Prisma Studio and like self-hosted it himself on like a PM2. So clearly there's people out there who want to be able to like spin up, you know, a Prisma Studio thing in a really easy way and get and use it, you know. Totally. Yeah. And I think database workflows are pretty painful today still. Like. You think about how easy it is to spin up a branch um, and get some preview deployments for an API or site with, say, Next.js or pretty much anything. Like, there's you can roll it yourself or use Netlify, whatever. 
And the same is just so not true for um, most database workflows where, okay, can I just fork the schema or not fork, but branch the schema and do some iterative work and then merge it back and have like four teams or four team members doing that at the same time with preview database. And like all that stuff is still really sucky. So I don't know if we're going to be doing anything about that specifically, but, but I hope things like that get better. One of my questions that I think would be hilarious to ask someone that works at Prisma, but it's probably not. Number one, when's Mongo support getting here on Prisma 2? And number two, when's NoSQL support getting here on Prisma 2? Well, it sounds like we could get two for one with Mongo there. It comes up a lot. I think um, maybe 2021 will be the year it happens, you know? Uh, so, so stay tuned. <laughs> I heard recently that the reason why it's taking so long is because you are going to figure out a general way to do document databases, not just Mongo. You could do just a driver for Mongo, but the point is you want to actually be able to model a more general type of actual database. Yeah. Document DB is another one. So there'd be a lot more interop there. So I'm not on the team that works on that, but I think there's probably a lot of truth in that. Just looking at how the SQL has been rolled out, right? We have Postgres, MySQL, and Microsoft SQL is coming soon. There's a reason that that order happened because the similarities between those databases. So not that they're the same and that therefore did, did take engineering work each time, but there is like a core there for sure that is sort of supporting. And I think in the same way that, yeah, maybe Mongo, Dynamo and, and others are going to not be the same, obviously. Um, I think there's probably some core work that will, will help there. So maybe the first one, for example, is going to be some, maybe some of the most challenging work that will not be needing to be repeated every time in the future. But they're all, they're all complicated beasts, so I think uh, we'll see. But, uh, but I, yeah, I think it would be awesome uh, if we could get some, some really great core in there for uh, more rapid uh, rollout in the future. The only reason I joke with them questions is open source is really hard. And the most ignorant thing you can do sometimes is, not in a bad way, but you can just spam a thread. When's Mongo support here? When's it here? It's not here yet. I really need it. Like, And that's really important because it shows want and demand. But you're a company and profitability is really, really important. Sometimes that can be swept under the rug with open source. Do you think the success of Prisma 2 is mainly because of the open source nature in the underlying technology? That's a really good question. I think it would be hard to have built, we call it an ORM, but we know it's a bit of a fuzzy, we're kind of fudging the word there. It's more like a query builder, if anything, but we'll, we'll use ORM. But I think, yeah, it would have been hard to sort of have an ORM and get the exposure it needs to get uh, widespread adoption in, in kind of like behind a paywall effectively. And so I think the approach of having done that in the open and freely available I think is somewhat necessary in when it, you think about a market that just doesn't really have a precedent for paid ORMs. And I'm not saying that Prisma clients can become a paid ORM. It's more that probably that open core will start to have some value add for larger companies and teams that need workflow specific to those scales. I think we're not unique in that way. Like a lot of companies start with open cores that then they are able to build specialized workflows around. And I think it just, it's a, it's a smart model. It's definitely not easy. I think every company talks about the struggles to actually make it work in practice. But I think in principle, it's it's an effective way to kind of get early adopters and influencers trying things out. And then when they talk about it, someone says, oh, okay, I'm curious now. And then the bar to trying it becomes, it's just very low. 
you know, people do different things. There's some trials or like paywalled features, but I think each of these have trade-offs and just having like no time limit with all the features to really get down to a real app where everyone starts something, but then they don't pick it up for four more weeks and they get back into it a bit deeper. A bit. So I think for people's usage patterns, um, this is still, I think, like one of the most effective ways, like open core. If I were say, how would I ever pay for a service like Prisma? It would be how close could it be to a fully managed API slash database where I don't even need to pick the provider. It just says your data goes in, your data goes out. Yeah. That would be perfect for me. It's this thing that I do think is mind blowing. Prisma is used everywhere in a CRUD application, if you choose to be, and you've not paid a penny for it yet. That's kind of my take on open source in general, like the amount going on and the things I can pick up and then move quickly on some project. And, and like 99.5% of the code underneath me, I haven't really paid for really like I paid the most for this, you know, Apple computer or something. That's both, I think, what's fascinating about the medium and also a challenge for people that want to do this for a living because we've lost the standard expectation that we will have to pay for this stuff. And so indie development, uh, for example, I think it's interesting to see that changing over the last few years with things like GitHub sponsors and, and just the actually the way people talk about it and how openly people and often people are talking about it um, on Twitter or whatever. It's it's actually a discussion that feels like it's it's getting traction and attention. Yeah, I'm on GitHub sponsor. Nice. It is mind-blowing, and I just don't know if it's sustainable. But I hope companies like Prisma can find ways to make the open core sustainable because I love that it also allows people who maybe just don't have the access uh, to, to pay up front or the use case to pay up front to still benefit, while larger companies that definitely can basically subsidize for the rest of us. I don't know if utopian is the right word, but it certainly is, feels like a way that... Best of both worlds. <laughs> yeah. The opposite of a tragedy of the commons. Yeah. Closing it out here, um, is there anything else that you would like to talk about that you're excited about coming forward with Prisma? Well, Migrate just came out and I'm just excited to see that thing come because there was a version already for a while now that was sort of in preview stage. Oh yeah, we know. <laughs> that's the one that's been in Redwood this entire time. <laughs> That's it. I'm really excited to to have, have the kind of a big revision of that out the door now, which will now continue to be incrementally uh, improved. I think it's a huge step for the company and for everyone that's like enjoying the Prisma client side of things was probably hopefully enjoying what, what Migrate could already do. But I think, yeah, this will be exciting to, I think, bring the company in the, in the whole sort of toolkit forward. After Migrate, then I think workflows and collaboration is going to be a big topic for Prisma, but I think it's, it's still a little bit ways out. Will Migrate ever handle data migration as well? Not only just table migration? I don't know. Don't know. So that's a big question. But yeah, thank you for your time. This has obviously been so useful. Where can our subscribers reach out to you if they want to? Yeah, absolutely. So there's Nexus GQL on Twitter, Prisma's on Twitter, and my name, Jason Kurt, on Twitter as well. Yeah, on GitHub, I have the same uh, handle and I work on a couple of open source projects on the side. Yeah, come check that out. Mostly TypeScript, of course. And yeah. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot, Jason. Cheers.
I hope it was clear. It's hard to uh, to vocalize some of the concepts, 